welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. I'm so excited because today's episode is episode 50 of the How Fitting podcast. To celebrate, I'm doing a few special things. You probably noticed the debut of the new intro music, and that will be sticking around for future episodes too. But the intro isn't the only thing a little bit different in this episode. Instead of interviewing a founder or designer of a brand like I usually do in each episode, I'm chatting with three of my pattern maker and product developer friends about how we work with brands to create fashion that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values. If you're curious about what it's like to work with a pattern maker to develop good fit and what conversations to be prepared to have, this episode will give you a clearer picture of how building a thoughtful brand that really fits starts right at the beginning of each new design and is woven throughout the entire product development process. So stay tuned and here's special episode 50. Today I'm joined by three very special guests, Ellie Wilcox of Digitech Design, Zoshil Herrera-Shear of the Chicago Pattern Maker, and Connie Bourgeois, CEO and Creative Director of Congetta Design. So welcome everyone to the show. Hi, Thanks for having us. Hi. Hi. For those listening who are just meeting you all for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do. So how about, um, let's start with social. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm social. My company is the Chicago pattern maker. Um, I've been freelancing for over 15 years, even before I started calling the business, the Chicago pattern maker, um, I have a background in fashion design, of course, like you all do as well. And, um, started the company just really out of a need um, that I found out there that people were looking for help with design, production, um, of course, pattern making. And so I, I work with clients, primarily small businesses um, to mid-sized businesses um, on their apparel design, tech packs, pattern making, prototypes, and um, help them find factories and kind of uh, merge into that, that production relationship at the end. Nice. Um, so Connie, how about you? What do you do and what types of brands do you mainly work with? Yeah, sure. So I'm Connie Bourgeois with Congetta Designs. And I started in the fashion industry um, almost 15 years ago, just working for various companies in a lot of different roles that were design related, tech design, development, um, kind of across the board. And I started uh, freelancing uh, just like for fun. I had a, a, a colleague that had a small project and he owns a a company, a fairly large company here in St. Louis. And he couldn't hire a designer because the project wasn't big enough to like bring on more staff. And anyway, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do it. That sounds fine. You know, I'll just do it on the side. And, um, it very quickly grew. Uh, Somebody heard I was freelancing and I got a few more clients and, um, I ended up hiring an assistant designer a few months later and, I worked a full-time job for about the first year uh, that my company was running. And then um, now I have a staff of eight and we work with um, startups and established brands and businesses that want to launch an apparel product or line. So we can help them with everything from the designing 
fabric and trim sourcing um, all the way until manufacturing and production and importing. So we handle all the imports, uh, customs duties, uh, freight boarding, all the way to the distribution center. So we're kind of a, a one-stop shop that handles all the back end so that they can focus on building their business and finding new clients, um, building their customer base, or just, you know, designing their future lines. Awesome. Yeah, so cool. It's like the whole start to finish, whereas like Social and I are kind of the between design and production mainly, or, you know, in the, the transitions from design development and then into production, you're kind of like all of those things, including design. Yes, exactly. Cool. Yep. So Ellie, how about you? Hi. Okay. I'm Ellie Wilcox. Um, my company name is Digitech Design and I'm an independent freelancer. I work with small and mid-sized brands. Um, I assist with pattern making and development and I focus in 3D mainly. Um, I provide like 3D digital samples for um, brands so that they, they could see their product before like a physical sample is cut and sewn. So that kind of helps them visualize, um, see their product from all angles. And I also assist with physical prototypes as well. Um, but that's my main focus is the 3D rendering. And that's a huge like growing area I know of, of the industry is like merging the, the tech with the kind of traditional way of doing fashion to kind of get the best of both worlds. Right. And what you see is what you get sometimes. It's really like on point. I've been um, utilizing 3D technology along with pattern making for about eight years now. So it's been an interesting journey to learn as the technology kind of gets better and better. So mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, so fun. So yeah, today's conversation, I really wanted to dive into more about um, from the, from the development side. So normally, I mean, I'm interviewing brands, um, about how they're making clothes that fit their customer, their lifestyle, and their values on this podcast. But today I want to kind of flip the tables and talk about how, um, you all in your work help your clients do that. How, how you help them fit their customer, their lifestyle, and their values, and then how you do that for your businesses as well. So let's kind of start with the fitting your customer part of this, right? It's kind of the first thing you think about with, with fit. So uh, like what, what things during the development process are really key contributions to good fit of the final product? I think a very strong understanding of who the target market is and who they're really going after. I think mm -hmm. people who try obviously to fit everybody end up fitting nobody. So figure mm -hmm. out like who is that customer get to know them very well and down to body type or even obviously having like multiple types of fit or types of body types that you might be going after, but being very clear about that language, um, such as if you work with one brand um, who kind of focused on three different um, body styles. So any of their tops or pants, they would say this is based on a pear shape or this is based on an apple shape or a strawberry shape and be very intentional about that communication. Um, mm -hmm. But even if you're not and you're kind of going after one core consumer, which is definitely easier, <laughs> um, getting to know who is that person um, and what are the, the key points of fit that you want to tackle. Yeah, that's a great point. We definitely um, talk a lot about that, identifying your customer. And one thing I also bring up to my clients is 
what other brands is your customer wearing and why are they wearing those brands? And then what brands are they avoiding and why are they avoiding those? So mm -hmm. kind of looking for um, best fit um, within that market. And then also looking at what are the pain points? What are the problems that we're trying to solve when it comes to fitting your customer? Yeah, so true. And those are great things. Sometimes asking those types of questions, I found we just asked like, oh, what type of body shape or, you know, who you're trying to fit? Like, that's a very broad question. Sometimes I think more of those questions that kind of get at deeper questions, you know, it's it's maybe easier to say where are they shopping, where are they not shopping um, to kind of arrive at a clearer picture of that that body type rather than just flat out, you know, <laughs> asking, asking a very kind of, in a way, technical question, right? Yeah. And also fit can be something that's quite subjective too. So you kind of have to understand like what the customer's fit preferences are, um, mm -hmm. because what they might be considering something tight fitting another customer may consider like perfect. So you also have to listen to, you know, what their preferences are, maybe take note of what are they returning, you know, not just what style are they returning, what sizes. Um, mm -hmm. keeping track of those kind of um, things can really help you make better decisions when you're developing other styles. Yeah. And one thing too, that we haven't mentioned so far that I see as like a big component of getting the right fit is understanding how fabrics relate to the design. Cause sometimes mm -hmm. one fabric could work for multiple designs and vice versa. One design could look great in multiple fabrics, but understanding how the combination of that fabric and that pattern and that design work together. And that's something you develop over time as I'm sure you guys have, but yeah, kind of being clear about how, how is this going to be worn? You know, who's going to wear this? How's this going to be worn? And then how are the like material properties of the garment itself going to work within that to really make the garment fit how it's intended and how the customer would want it to. Yeah, they really need to work hand in hand. You never want to like force a fabric into a design or like mm -hmm. something it doesn't want to be. There's some, you know, properties that it just won't do um, or better fabrics um, will be more suitable to get that design idea across um, or fit across. And definitely, I think that's a surprising thing for especially newer people entering the industry um, without a background knowledge is like how much the fabric really does dictate, obviously your pattern, your tuck pack, every construction detail. Um, mm -hmm. And if they change a fabric during development or even if they launch a product, but they wanna put a new fabric out there at, for a later season, you still kind of go back into development and test it again. Yeah, definitely. That, that is certainly something that I think a lot of new brands don't quite understand in the beginning. Um, it's not just as easy as subbing in a new fabric. Like you said, Sochal, you have to go, you have to kind of start the whole development process over because that fabric, as similar as it may be, is not going to react the same. Your specs are not going to stay the same. You know, there's so many things that, that um, it impacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even it may wash different or it may make it more complicated production wise. Like I've seen fabrics where the edges curl and it just makes it annoying to work with. And so it slows down production and, and increases the price. Um, you, other than that, like nothing else changed. So you think, oh, it's not a big deal. But just how it all works together is so tightly woven. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So what are some ways in your process working with clients that you help them achieve good fit in their initial collection and even beyond that initial collection, like for a more established brand or building into future collections? So I ask my clients um, when we do our design kickoff, which is essentially the start of their project, um, I tell them to bring inspiration garments that they like the fit of that they want to emulate or garments that they have that they thought they would like and they don't like so that we can kind of analyze, okay, what is this garment doing that's causing bad fit? How are we fixing that problem for you? And then kind of looking at these are all the styles that they like the fit of. So we'll, we'll analyze, you know, five to six garments. Um, We'll measure all of them, take all the specs and then, create custom specs from that. And that's usually how we start. Mm -hmm. I love when people have reference garments. I highly, highly recommend that because it it does, even though you're measuring and taking time to measure and analyze, it cuts out a lot of the guesswork of what is going to fit better than something else. Because of course, as we know, bodies are different and there's different body types and even people with same measurements aren't going to have the same fit necessarily. And it helps with communication too. Like Ellie, you were saying earlier of fit is subjective. So what one person considers tight fit is just fine for somebody else. But looking at, you know, a reference garment and seeing, okay, they're they're asking for a slimmer fit, you know, turtleneck or whatever. And this is the sample they're giving me. Like this is what they mean by slim fit, you know, (laughs) like even seeing photos of it on a body, if it's the fit that you like, I find is really helpful to see what is, what is the intent of the end product? Like how are they wanting it to visually look on the finished garment on a body is super helpful. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Bulk garment is so helpful. Um, Along with that, um, a sizing chart can be a really useful tool when you're creating um, a first pattern and when you're creating the additional sizes, if they have an established sizing chart, as in like the body sizes of the, the, mm-hmm. the fit of the wearer, I mean, that's really ideal as well to have um, as a starting point. And if they don't have that, I mean, I'm always happy to help them, you know, figure out what their sizing chart should be. Yeah, same here. I always start with, I ask that my clients find like an actual fit model, you know, whether it's a professional Mm -hmm. fit model or um, a friend of theirs who's in their target market and is represents like the average body size and shape of their customer, ideally not themselves, (laughs) to like get, get the measurements and so that we really, so that, you know, as I'm developing the pattern, I know like this is the body and the measurements that we're trying to fit for their sample size medium or whatever. So that, yeah, it cuts down on that confusion of what size they're, you know, we're fitting in and what measurements the person who is that medium size actually is in real life. Yeah, having a consistent fit model is so critical. I always measure the fit model before we start trying everything on at every session to make sure, you know, we note if someone has grown a little bit or shrunk a little bit, um, which is Mm -hmm. normal, Um, but taking that into account so that we don't overcorrect for a fit issue that we might see. Um, And I agree with you, Allison, like having a professional fit model is ideal. Um, Having someone other than the designer is 
you know, second best, just so it's not yourself. I feel like it's hard for people to be, you know, objective and critical of the design when they're looking at it on themselves, you know, in a mirror or down on themselves. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's like it, if, when you're looking at it on somebody else, you can stand, you can literally stand back and look at it more objectively, see all angles of it. And also you're removing kind of that piece of we all kind of have our own ideas of about our own body and so to be able to remove that from the from the conversation about the garment and not having to think about oh well I don't like how my shoulders are you know and so like that gets in the way of yeah seeing the garment and fitting it objectively so great points about measuring and even measuring the sample beforehand I do that too because yes I can't tell you like how many times I've seen Mm -hmm happen where you have the pattern you know what the pattern measurements are but you get a sample made you don't measure the sample you know somebody else tries it on the fit model and gives you a note you as in pattern maker so me a note of like oh we want to take it in an inch in the bust and then you do that and the next sample is like wow that's like three inches smaller well you know it turns out that the sample was wrong not the pattern so kind of those checks and balances that's absolutely critical. You you have to measure every sample and compare it against your spec chart to see if it's on spec or not. Um, mm-hmm. I've rejected samples without even fitting them before because they were so off spec that I'm like, well, I can't really fit this because it doesn't even, you know, it's nowhere Active. close to anything that yeah. we asked for. Yeah. It's all yeah, those it's- checks and balances throughout the whole process. Yeah. I was going to add to that. Like, this is a, a reason I... I I stress that clients need a tuck pack before the pattern because it, it gets changed obviously during the development process, but it's a critical tool for us to record those things along the way, mm-hmm. compare it back to the pattern, understand what's happening. Is the fabric stretching out? Is something happening that we can adjust the pattern for or conversely like work with the sewer or adjust the machine or something like that? Like without all that data, we don't know what necessarily to tackle. So mm-hmm. it's, it's critical. Like I, or very early on in my freelance career, I was like, oh yeah, we can do the tech pack after that makes sense. But quickly realized like, that's not a good way to work. Um, so now I require it. Like you can do a basic version of a tech pack, but you have to have a tech pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, definitely. Ellie, I'm curious with 3D fitting, um, how, do, how does that work? Like, are you able to really catch um, fit issues before, like we've been talking about physical samples, but mm-hmm. with 3D, um, yeah, what does that process look yeah. like? Is it different than how you work with a fit, fitting a physical sample? Um, yeah, I mean, with 3D, you can create an avatar based on your base sizes uh, measurements, you know, input every, all the different body size specifications. Um, and you can see how your garment will look on that body. Obviously the 3d model isn't going to tell you like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Or this doesn't fit right here in this area because, and you're not also putting it over their head and doing that kind of process of Mm -hmm. how are they getting into this garment? So there's some really great things about using 3d to help you with fit, but at the same time, you still need to fit on a human being. (laughs) Um, but yeah, as far as um, fit goes, I mean, it's not just seeing that, you know, 3D shape around the avatar, but you also can turn on these fit maps. So you can see where that fabric is pulling, where it's stretching around the body. So 
those kind of tools are really helpful in the, the CAD programs that I'm using, um, as well as when you grade your pattern out, you can also do the same thing to test on various size avatars, which it can get kind of pricey, you know, when you're working with all these fit models, um, how many fit models can you really afford to test each size? So mm -hmm. 3D can be really helpful for those kind of things, especially like if you can't, you know, if you don't have access to um, models of all the sizes. So I use it a lot for testing um, patterns after grading. Mm -hmm. um, it really helps when you can do, you know, the smallest size, the medium size and like the largest size and see all three and you can catch you know, okay, does this look proportionate um, across the board? Do we like how um, this particular detail is grading? Maybe we need to hold the grading of the pocket or something like that. Like, it really helps with the visual side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of do the same process with 3D fittings too. It's like, I don't think it replaces a physical sample, but just like you said, being able to catch the visual things of fit or with the sizing and proportions just to be able to see like, okay here's every size or jump size like you said small is yeah. the middle and the biggest yeah. of is the design consistent across the sizes and you know you're able to use a mod you know a, a digital avatar that like it's the same height across those sizes or you know whatever so really compare a little bit more easily if you don't have access to like the perfect fit models like you said yeah, and it just helps with the extra steps along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to add to that, um, one thing that I love about 3D, and we don't implement it a lot. Um, you know, we have a small team, but every once in a while, if there's a, a garment that's fairly complex or the design is has a ton of style lines, I love to see it mocked up in 3D because even outside of fit issues, you can kind of look at it and say you know this design itself isn't doing exactly what i want it to do <laughs> so you can kind of visually see it come together without mm -hmm. having to wait for that first sample um because you know we've had first samples come in and i'm like well it's exactly what we asked for but it's not what you were really hoping. look flattering yeah exactly. yeah so. it might have looked great on the sketch or in the you know technical flat yeah but then on like real life it's like oh wait <laughs> Right, like not yeah. as flattering as we hoped. So 3D can help um, alleviate some of those steps. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So moving a little bit more to fitting your lifestyle. So by that, I mean, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. As Ochil, you mentioned making sure that when you're deciding on fit, you're, you really know who you're fitting and who, you know, who's wearing it, what they're wearing it for what their life is like, how that affects the features or the needs or the design of the clothing. But yeah, with kind of fitting the lifestyle of your clients, I know the fashion industry is notorious for like moving really fast and kind of in a way being a very all-consuming career, like it can kind of take over your life. So I'm curious in your, in your own lives and businesses, how do you balance your work and life? And then Kind of as a second question, are there ways that you encourage your clients to do the same with their brands and personal lives? Sure. So like in terms of business slash life balance, um, I think it's really important to just have boundaries and create that for yourself. Like what, what are your working hours? What is the communication like platform and format that you want to have clients reaching out to you? Um, 
you know, like when I get inquiries, they might come an email or they might come in a DM or they might come from a phone call, but I then direct it all into email because it's easier for me to, to deal with it there and then schedule phone calls. Um, since I am a, a business owner and I have a small team of three, so it's, you know, our time is valuable. Everyone's time is valuable, of course, but when you have a small mm-hmm. team or just yourself that you're managing, it's like, you can't just hop on a random phone call at any given time. You've got to kind of carve out your your work time and stay focused on what you're doing so that you're actually delivering the work that you promised. Um, mm-hmm. And so I carve out like those working hours separately from like my personal time. And sometimes with communication, I'm willing to like, let's say a client is working with a factory overseas and we're in a completely different time zone. I need to answer a question, you know, at 10 p.m. because that's just what's required. If I know about that in advance, it's not a problem, but I definitely don't want like a surprise, like, hey, we have this going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And people expecting that you just answer an email, you know, immediately or something like that. So I do think it's important to establish that for yourself, stick to it, communicate that to any client that you're working with. And I find that clients appreciate that. And, you know, we're all real people. So Mm -hmm. if, um, you know, they have families and lives and things like that as well I think that people appreciate having that honesty right up front to be like this is this is when I'm available this is what I can do for you um and I'm happy to help beyond that as long as we talk about it then that seems to work really well and then just prioritizing I guess would be the other part of that is like I want to spend time with my family I want to spend time with my friends I don't want to work 24 7 if I did, I'd probably be in, you know, a corporate position and not <laughs> doing what I'm doing here. So um, I value that. And so I, you know, will say no to projects if it doesn't align with like a timeline or the boundaries that I've established. Yeah, that's super helpful to know what your boundaries are and then communicating that clearly. Because I think that not only benefits you, but it also, I think, benefits the client. Because they're they're clear about this is what I can ex- what they can expect from you, and also set some parameters of this is what is urgent and this is what is important, but doesn't need to be handled at nine p.m. on a Friday evening. You know, right. um, it it kind of keep keeps the priorities in check and also keeps the project moving, but in a way where everybody feels like they're taken seriously, but also have the time and the understanding to get their questions answered in a timely manner, but still, yeah, may protect those boundaries and respect other people as well. Yes, that yep. mutual respect is so important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Def- definitely, definitely. And um, so chill to kind of um, elaborate on some of the things you mentioned, I'm implementing some of those same things. Um, just managing your time and scheduling things appropriately has made a world of difference, um, especially for me, Allison, you already know this, but I just had a baby a few months ago. So I went from being able to work 24 seven if I need to, to um, now I can't do that. So managing my time and my client's expectations has become so important. And one of the ways I am able to do that is through um, an automated scheduling uh, system. So I just send them a link if we have a project that we need to discuss or go over, here's a link to my calendar and it um, is linked to my personal calendar. So if I have any times where I know that I'm like, for example, I don't start my day right now until at least 10 because I'm spending the mornings with my baby. So 
that they can't even schedule time outside of certain windows for me. And then I have um, certain staff members calendars linked on certain types of meetings. So if it's like a fit session, um, my technical designers have their calendars linked as well. So any client can go on there, select the time that's open for all of us, and then it automatically sets a calendar and invite for everybody with notification. So it has saved me so much time just in the back and forth of when are you free? Oh, okay. Well, I'm not free any of those times. How about these times? Okay, great. Let me make a, a you know, manually create the calendar invite. Let me add the Zoom link. It just does all of that for me. So at any moment I can just open up my calendar and see who has, you know, selected time slots. Uh, so that's made a big difference and me being able to fit more things in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do the same. And ironically, though, um, w- my one of my boundaries is I don't take any meetings on Fridays. Um, and the funny thing about that is it is Friday. Breaking your rule. Where, yeah, I'm breaking my rule. This is an exception, though, because it's a special okay. episode. So, right. um, yeah, I use Calendly and do the same thing where it's like... Me too. Yeah, Calendly is the one. No one can... Uh, b- like book time with me on a Friday and then I have certain you know time boundaries for like I'm only going to take this many meetings per day and making sure I have time a lunch break or whatever in there and then yeah it it really has cut down like you said on the back and forth um, and then sends out automatic reminders so people don't miss their meetings and again I didn't do that for our recording today because I couldn't book a meeting on Friday so I had to do it all manually oh but, right right <laughs> but yeah I do the same thing it's really helpful where I'm almost protecting the boundary from myself you know um, yeah. where it's so easy to just be like oh but I'm free but then like reminding myself like no there's a reason why I blocked off this time for, you know, a certain project or for, you know, whatever, again, you know, makes it more straightforward communication and and kind of easier with the client, you know, on both sides to just, they can select a time that works for them and we don't have to go back and forth about it. Right, exactly. Um, Another thing that I've implemented that has helped a lot is uh, project management software. Um, So I created a template since at this point, many of our customer projects are similar in scope. So I created a template with, um, you know, each milestone and the, the time needed to complete it is all created. So whenever I have a new client project, I just, you know, duplicate the template, change a few things, change the start date, the end date or, or whatever. And then I share that with them. So their expectations are already set at the start of the project. They can see very clearly, okay, it takes this many weeks for, uh, you know, designing and sketching. It takes this many weeks for the tech pack process. It takes this many weeks for sampling. And so that alleviates a lot of, hey, uh, where's such and such at? Or, hey, when can I expect, you know, Mm -hmm. my tech packs to be ready? They can just go on there and look and see where things are at any given point. So that's really cut down on um, just the daily communication and updates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Ellie, how about you? What kind of boundaries do you have between work and life and how do you help to do that with your clients as well? I think you guys pretty much covered everything. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, time blocking. Um, I use Calendly to manage my schedule as well. Um, I guess the thing I can add to that is I only have certain days that I'm open to doing uh, Zoom calls. Um, so it's kind of similar 
um, just because in the spirit of like batching similar tasks together, it makes it mm -hmm. easier, you know, you could be camera ready one day and then the next day, maybe you have off and you're focused on sewing more and you can get more in the zone of doing like that deep focus work. So yeah, it's all really similar because, you know, I work from home and I need to create those boundaries. Otherwise it's just chaos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, same kind of thing. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. A lot of these, I think all, all four of us work from home, right? Our officers are at home. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, so all four of us. So, um, and I know a lot of, you know, smaller brands do as well. Like often it's the, the founder, you know, working out of their house. And so these tips, whether you're, you know, have a whole team like Connie and Sochil or whether you're just, you know, a single, a single business owner like Ellie and I, um, I think it can really help maintain those boundaries and make you kind of have a healthy work-life balance for everybody involved in the project. And um yeah keep the communication I think that's one thing that's kind of stood out from this and just in general I think is super important is clear communication at every step it's so frustrating when you're like working with somebody and they you just like don't hear from them for multiple weeks or you're not sure what's the next step or what you should be doing or what you can expect from them but setting those expectations early on and deciding how you're going to communicate and kind of what the timeline is for the project is so important for keeping everything on track and keeping everybody from having to like worry and follow up um on it so, so. yeah one more thing I'd like to add just because your Friday schedule reminded me of this Allison um <laughs> is like knowing yourself and knowing like when when is a good time of day to be in like deep work versus a meeting versus you know any other task um I hate starting like Monday mornings out with meetings because I feel like then I it ends up being like 11 or 12 before I actually start working and I feel very unproductive for mm -hmm. the start of a of Monday like to kind of plan out okay what, what's the goal for the week what are we doing and then start doing it versus like if I'm on three phone calls or something like that i bogs me down for the rest of the week so I'm like I know that about myself try not to ever do that once in a while if it's like a client is only available at that time I'll make an exception but otherwise I try to make it like middle of the week like Tuesdays and block a bunch of meetings and just do it that way mm -hmm. that made me think of another thing too of to-do list like whether it's digital or whether it's like written down I've just found that's the number one thing for me to help with productivity is when I don't have a to-do list, I'm constantly having to be think about like juggling all the priorities and figuring out what should I do next, you know, like looking through every task and mm -hmm. trying to decide what to do next. Whereas if I've like spent some time either at the beginning of the week or the end of the previous week to kind of map out the week, then I can get up on Monday morning or, you know, whatever day it is and be like, okay, here's the three important things that I have to get done today. And then here are other things that I could do. But at least being able to get up, jump into those important tasks and not have to spend brain space figuring out what are the important tasks for that day is so helpful for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I use my digital calendar for like, I don't know, advanced planning, of course, and meetings. But then at the beginning of the week, I write everything down with the tasks and that way I can focus there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I have to knock out a few things on my to-do list before I even open my email inbox because I get so many emails and a lot of them do have to be addressed. So I know that if I open my email first, I'm never going to get to any of the things that I had planned for that day. Mm-hmm. So it's like mornings are work, you know, actually executing and getting things completed. And then afternoons are like emails and meetings. That's typically how I structure my days. Nice. I love that. So the third kind of topic for today is um, about fitting your values. So I know many of us work with brands that are values focused, be there, you know, whether that be like a focus on ethical fashion or sustainability or supporting local manufacturing, you know, the list can go on. But um, I'm curious how you guide your clients through the development process in a way that aligns with their values. So if they have like those particular focus or interest in their brand, um, how can that be kind of addressed or, you know, designed into during development? It's a good way to like lead off the conversations, like ask them what is important to them. Um, I also, I'm pretty vocal about my own values. So I feel like I, I attract people who have similar values about like manufacturing in the USA or ethical manufacturing, slow fashion. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the more I talk about that, obviously people are going to be like, oh yeah, I want that too. Let's work together. So that certainly helps lead that conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was going to say the same thing, like bringing that up and the very first conversation I have with a potential client um, that, you know, as a company, Congetta places a very, very high um, importance on sustainability or ethically sourced product. Um, So being that we are the manufacturer for many of our our clients, we are only working with manufacturers that um, pass certain ethical standards and sustainability standards. So that's kind of a a non-negotiable. And a lot of my clients, if if they come into the conversation without having those topics at the top of mind, after our first conversation, they're pretty quickly like, oh, yeah, that stuff is important. I didn't really think about it. I definitely want my brand to, you know, continue and foster those those values. Nice. And you just launched, um, I know, your own brand that's very focused on that as well. So was that kind of like built on all hmm. that kind of groundwork you developed finding those factories and resources for your clients? Yeah, exactly. I had been working with um, sustainable focused brands for for years, even before I started my own company. So, um, you know, once we kind of had my team in place, like my designer, my tech designer, um, my sample coordinator, and, you know, we work with outside pattern makers. It's like, I had everything in place. I had all the factory contacts. So that's when, you know, I told my husband, Hey, uh, I know this wasn't like part of our business plan, but why don't we start our own brand? And it's a way to show our clients, like we know what we're doing because we're also doing it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have a question on my like inquiry form of like, please share your interest um, in ethical manufacturing or local manufacturing as like a point of some people don't answer, you know, in a very long format, but it still, I think, plants the seed of like, this is important to me and my company. So I want them to start thinking about that. I love that. Exactly. 
Yeah, again, right from the beginning, making sure you're on the same page with, with the client. Because I think it would be hard to um, work with a client that had vastly different values than you have for your own business. I mean, maybe it's easier for some people, but I feel like that would be hard for me. Um, I'm also yeah. very much into the, you know, ethical, sustainable, and um, like slow fashion. Let's make something that's going to last and not something cheap that you're going to wear once and get rid of. Um, fitting all that together so it's something the, the client will really, or the, the end customer will really treasure in their wardrobe. So I also tend to attract people who view, or clients that, brands that view the same thing. Ellie, with your work in 3D, what is the, is there like a primary reason why brands are interested in 3D? Like I know... Um, you know, it can help decrease the amount of samples needed and, you know, and kind of the back and forth and even decrease environmental impact of shipping those samples too. Is that um, a reason why some of your clients are interested in that or are there other kind of reasons or values why 3D is important to them? Yeah, um, 3D definitely helps with reducing the amount of samples, reducing wastes in that aspect. And um, some of the clients that I work with do have factories overseas. And really, I think I'm seeing more often that people are wanting to do 3D because of it's, you know, the, the ease of use and how quick it is to actually render a sample as opposed to sending the factory that tech pack, waiting for them to send you that sample back. It just gives you um, like a lot quicker turnaround. So, I mean, it does help with the sustainability aspect of it, um, but there's so many other reasons as well. Like also just being able to see the garment from literally inside out, um, having all sorts of different angles and um, getting really nitty gritty into that detail, um, seeing the pattern um, translated into that rendering. Because, you know, the 3D um, sample is actually something that comes from the 2D pattern. It's not like, I'm not like a 2D artist. I'm a pattern maker first. <laughs> I'm not mm -hmm. a 3D digital artist. You know, I don't consider myself like a 3D um, designer so much as a pattern maker really first. Um, and then the other thing that just really helps is in seeing um, how your surface pattern, like an actual print or a textile print, looks on that garment. Um, how does it wrap around the body? Where does the print lay? Um, if you have a garment that's like really drapey and has a lot of folds, it kind of helps you visualize better than uh, a 2D sketch would where it's kind of subjective and you're trying to guess where the print is gonna fall. So those are more mm -hmm. of a reason that's why I'm seeing people gravitating to 3D. Um, but every once in a while I do get Clients come to me for, you know, sustainability reasons. Um, like I said, you still need physical samples. I don't think it's ever going to eliminate the need for real physical, like sewn products. Maybe one day, mm -hmm. but we're not there yet. Yeah, I agree. I know for myself and my process, aligning, like helping a client align with their values. Um, I think it goes back to what we've kind of mentioned before about fit and really getting clear about who you're making this for. Because I think that can really help, you know, it can be values of the company who, you know, 
is making the garment, but it also can be values of the end consumer, whether that be, you know, they want to buy U.S. made, um, but it also could be things like they value, um, you know, garments that will last in their wardrobe and can be worn for, you know, multiple seasons. And so being able to know that about the end customer and kind of ar arrive at that and know that as a brand, then you're able to design with that in mind, knowing that this is important to the end customer. Or even, um, like I've worked with some brands that make clothes for new moms. And so, you know, they're they're like, okay, this, this can't be something that can be dry clean only because it's, <laughs> you know, new moms, they want, it's going to get, you know, dirty and they're going to want to be able to easily clean it and care for it so that they can be, you know, spending their time with their, with their new baby. And so, you know, things like that were, again, going back to really understanding who's going to be wearing this garment and how their lifestyle and the things that they value in their life, are, like, even if they seem very intangible or unrelated to fashion and clothes, like, can very much be related to how you develop the garment, what fabric it is, how it fits, you know, how it's put together. So those are things where I always try to find out as much about the end customer and encourage my clients, the brand, to, to do the same about their customer because it really does help, I think, fit from all those aspects. I agree. The functionality is, is very critical. And I feel like some clients, when you say functionality, they're like, oh, this isn't like a high-tech garment or, you know, like they feel like functionality means something more complicated than it is. But like you said, it mm -hmm. can be just how does this fit into the person's lifestyle? Um, if dry clean only does not work, then like we should not consider these types of fabrics or, um, you know, make sure that we're wash testing and making sure that um, you can throw mm -hmm. it in the dryer, even if uh, it's a suggested not, like what actually happens? Let's test this out and find out or need to move on to a different material. Um, and same mm -hmm. with like quality, I feel like, and probably I would say the four of us might share this, that like, people who are looking for quality garments or hiring people like us. There's lots of blanks garments out there in the world and lots of like, you know, people on Fiverr who might send you a pattern for $20 and that's fast fashion. That's not, I don't think what any of us, you know, stand for and work on. Um, so mm -hmm. right there, it's probably cutting out some of those types of people. But um, I do think when those inquiries come in, just being clear about this is what we offer. No, I cannot cut corners. I'm not willing to cut corners because um, I want to stand behind the quality of work that I'm putting out there, even though my name is not really on it out in the world. Like nobody, you know, announces who their pattern maker is typically, <laughs> but you want to mm -hmm. feel proud um, about what you put out there too. So true. Um, I'm curious from each of you, what is your number one tip for brands starting out developing their designs? like the most important thing to make sure that your design fits in all of these ways when it's done. Oh, that's a good one. I like to tell my customers from the beginning, and, and this I feel like we've kind of touched on multiple times throughout this conversation, but really, really knowing who your customer is, mm -hmm. um, is so critical because a, a lot of clients come to me and they haven't really thought about that. They're thinking more of the design of the garment and they have ideas for designs. And, and I get that, you know, being a creative person myself, I completely understand that, but a, a design isn't useful in the world if 
there's no customer that it works for, or there's no customer that's looking for that um, design and has that type of um, budget. Like you have to think about meeting them where they are. Like, where is your customer shopping? As so how is she going to find your brand? It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a waste of everyone's time and effort if we go through all of this development process and we create these beautiful garments and we go through production and no one can find you. So um, putting your brand in places where she or he will see it and keeping in mind where they're wearing it, um, you know, the type of event or the daily activities that they're um, going through while wearing your garment. And like um, you mentioned already, how is the garment being washed and cared for? So really, really thinking deeply, who is this customer meeting them where they are in all aspects of their life and not just like, oh, where are they going to find us to buy it? But where are they in a lifestyle perspective? Mm-hmm. I would say like very, very similar to like answer the, my own question. But yeah, I would say know the customer well and also pro- like approach it from a problem solving mindset as well as like a design mindset. It has to solve the problem in addition to being beautiful because fashion is not just something that we like hang on our wall as art and stare at. I mean, maybe it is, but um, it can be, but generally it's it's made to be worn and like lived in. So, Absolutely. And that speaks to the longevity of a brand itself, because if you create beautiful garments and people buy them and they're ill-fitting, they're not going, not only will they not wear it, they're not going to buy from you again. Mm-hmm. So in order to be a successful business and have longevity, your garments have to fit well, as well as, like you said, being beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good fit. Obviously, I care a lot about that. But um, it just like the confidence that you see on someone's face when they try something on that physically fits them well, but also like fits with the aesthetic that they like and everything. It's a visible expression on their face. And it's so cool. It's my favorite part of my job. Yeah, getting to see that end result. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I guess my my tip or my thought would be not to rush the process and really understand that it's collaborative and like your powder maker, your product developer, your factory, everyone involved is collaborating with you and wants um, you as the brand to succeed and is going to mm-hmm. offer their inputs to, to do so. So like taking, taking that advice, um, you know, to heart and implementing things also not getting too bogged down with like people like to share their process on Instagram and stuff like that, but they might take every single feedback um, from people who don't know what they're talking about, um, just general public type people. And that can, I think, make them get lost along the way a little bit. So um, remembering so who to, who to listen that. to, but also stay true to your vision um, and know that yeah, your team that you've put into place is there to help ensure that vision comes to life. Um, and the other thing is, remember, it's an investment. It's a business. Um, you know, you're investing in development, but you also need to make sure you have money for production and for marketing um, and getting it out there. Because, like Connie said, like if no one sees it, it could be the best design, the best fitting design out there, but it needs to get in the hands of the people who will wear it. Yep. Definitely. Yes, the marketing budget is key in a lot of you know, startups forget about that. Yeah. Start small and then that way you can have room to grow um, versus if you start too big and you waste all your money on, you know, one season and 
or even one production run or something like that, you might not get the opportunity to learn and grow from that season. So you have to have multiple years kind of in your head and mapped out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time to dial in kind of the niche of your customer. And that, that I think is another important tip too. Like, again, don't, I think Zocho mentioned this earlier, but um, like, don't try to please everybody or fit everybody because you, then you'll fit nobody. So mm-hmm. yeah, being clear about your customer and specific and knowing who that customer is so that you're taking feedback from them and not somebody who is not your customer. I agree. And the good thing is, I mean, it doesn't take too much work to do your research. Just going on social media nowadays, you can see what are people saying, you know, you can check out your um, competitors' socials, check out their um, their comments. Um, people are going to be voicing their values right there on social media. You can get a feel for their lifestyle, taking at their, you know, profile. So yeah, there's a lot of free information out there. So I agree with everything um, you all said. Definitely the um, knowing your customer, having like a, a fictitious customer profile of like who they are, maybe um, their income, a couple of stats about their lifestyle values, um, you know, uh, maybe like their family type um, would be a good thing to keep in mind. Maybe even print it out and pin it on your board so you can constantly think about who your customer is and keep them top of mind. Super good tips. So what is your favorite part of your job? And I already mentioned mine, so I'll let you three. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, I like, um, once the pattern is like all set up, I like um, seeing different colorways actually come to life. That's probably the most fun. (laughs) That is fun. That's a hard one. Yeah, I feel like it's always rewarding getting to see like the final photo shoot and then seeing like customers wearing things that you are a part of. I always like that never gets old. That feeling never gets old to me. <laughs> um, it's always so exciting to see that um, come to life. Um, and I guess on a different note, but just I love being a business owner. I love the flexibility that it offers me and my lifestyle. So being able to kind of share that with other small business owners, like enabling them to maybe leave a job that they're not loving or pursue a dream. I think that's really cool just to share that, you know, camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. As an entrepreneur, I love being able to work with other entrepreneurs and help them like achieve their dream. And, you know, those final meetings with clients towards the end of the development cycle when we're kind of like at the last proto or maybe we're reviewing pps where the the style is finally like in the right color in the right fabric and it fits well and it's like just seeing their face um is so much fun because i love being able to help them create something tangible that has been in their head for usually it's a long time they approach me after they've been considering you know, starting a brand or launching this product for a long time. So it's just really satisfying to be able to help them achieve that. Nice. Yeah. Sample day is always like kid on Christmas morning when the samples totally. are good. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the samples yeah, are not exactly. how you hoped they would. <laughs> right. So I have one last question for each of you that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. 
which is if you could mean communicate one value to the world to the clothes that in your case helped to make what would it be that's a really good question yeah <laughs> can you repeat the question can you say it one more time if you could communicate one value or like thing that's important to, to you um to the world through the clothes that you help make what would it be maybe another way to put this is like why are you in this industry I think definitely simplicity and comfort are the main but those are two things so <laughs> that's fine it could be two <laughs> yeah for for me I would say confidence I mean seeing someone um in a garment that I helped to create having the confidence of either that garment makes them feel better or confidence that their scrubs aren't going to fall down and expose their behind to everyone when they're caring for their patients. I mean, sometimes it's just, it's, it's a confidence based in functionality. Like they, their clothing is the last thing they have to worry about. You know, they have mm -hmm. other things that they're trying to address that day and their clothing is not on their mind. And if it is, it's in a positive light, giving them uh, more confidence. That's such a I love great that. answer. No, I was going to say like attention to detail, like well-constructed, um, thoughtful, I guess would be the word like thoughtful, mm -hmm. um, thoughtful in the design, thoughtful in the construction, like things that make sense and feel good. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So we have like simple and comfort and we have confidence and thoughtful. So all of those, I think, like totally fall into what we've been talking about of making quality clothes that really fit the end customer and their lifestyle and values and the things that they care about. So this has been so fun to talk to all three of you about, yeah, how you help your clients and the brands that you work with really develop good fit throughout all these aspects in their final product. Um, where can people find out more about each of you and your businesses online if they want to connect or maybe work with you? Sure. Um, I'll go first. So Congetta Designs is on LinkedIn. We also have a website and people can contact us through the website. We also have an Instagram account and we actively respond to DMs so they can reach us there. And then um, our brand Galbashi is the sustainable um, Caribbean inspired brand that, um, my husband who is Jamaican, uh, we started together. So if people are looking for that, they can find us on galbashi.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. Nice. Um, my website is social X O C H I L.com. Um, or you can just do the Chicago powdermaker.com. It'll forward you there too. Um, and then on social media, Instagram is my primary like channel that I like to use. Uh, my handle is at fashion social. And you can find me at um, digitechdesign.com. Um, and on Instagram, I am at designing with Ellie. Wonderful. And we'll include links to everything in the show notes so people can also go there and click through to connect with you all. Thank you again for joining me today. This has been so fun. Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.